Hello, and welcome to Built for Earth, where we're spotlighting experts and innovators taking on climate change. My name is Sam Beskin, and today our guest joining the show is the one and only Matt Rogers, co-founder and CEO of Mill. Matt is a builder at heart, having started his career at Apple, where he was one of the first engineers on the iPhone. He then coupled his love for creating great products with his passion for taking on climate change by co-founding Nest, the first learning thermostat to help households reduce their energy usage. Matt is also a co-founder of Insight.org, which provides catalytic capital and guidance to startups and nonprofits developing world-positive innovation. Now he has turned his focus to Mill, where Matt and the team are developing a new system to keep food waste in the food system. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me. Sweet. Well, to kick it off, I want to hear about your inspiration for Mill. You obviously knocked your first company out of the park with Nest, and so you didn't have to do this at all. Why did you decide to build Mill? Well, look, I mean, climate change is not going to solve itself. And if if we've seen anything the last decade, is actually we can make meaningful progress. I think about like what's happened in electric vehicles with the electric grid and with renewables. Like when we put our minds to things and we create better products and better systems, we actually can make a dent in these major challenges. And you know, like we're winding the clock back to 2020 when we're all like sitting at home in our own filth, kind of peak days of COVID lockdowns. My now co-founder and I, we were not co-founders then, we were still kind of ideating, started talking about waste. And it's one of these things that is, it's kind of everywhere. And we kind of take it for granted. We accept that it exists, that we can't really do anything about it. But, you know, food waste is like 10% of global emissions. We throw out 40% of the food we grow. It's like one of the top challenges of the planet. And we kind of take it for granted. And that seems like one of those kind of things that's worth coming out of retirement to go solve. Well, here you are a couple years in now, post-pandemic, and you have been building a company at, at Mill that's completely changed the game in how food waste is managed in the home. How has building and engineering the mill challenged you in a different way than your previous ventures? Obviously, it's still hardware like the Nest, but what has been the biggest challenge in this new journey and what has been the most fulfilling aspect of building mill thus far? I mean, first, I got to tell you, like, this is probably one of the best products I've ever made. And I've made a lot of products in my career. From my, my days at Apple building iPods and iPhones and the iPad to Nest with the thermostats and smoke alarms and cameras, this is a product I use 20 times a day. There's like not that many things like that out there. You know, probably the thing I use more than my mill bin is probably my iPhone. I probably shouldn't use my iPhone that much. <laughs> so like, it's something you use a lot. And when you use something so frequently and so many people use it, it's actually a communal product. You got to think about the design differently. And, you know, like when we went out to build the early Nest products, we wanted to make it really easy. So, like, that's why the first Nest thermostat is a dial. It's, it's very intuitive. Like, you could walk up and you know what to do with it. And we kind of used that same design ethos when we were building Mill. Like, can we make it really, really, really obvious? Like, where anybody who's never, you know, never even heard of the company could figure out how to use the product. That's why, like, it looks like a trash can. You know, beautiful trash can, but still, like, looks like a trash can. And, like, it has a foot pedal. 
which everybody knows how to use. And it opens up and we made it really easy. And I like, just put your dinner scraps in anytime. Just put it in and don't really worry much about it. And like all the technology, all the innovation happens behind the scenes. So that's really important. That's really hard to do. Like as a designer, as an engineer, like we'll go above and beyond. We'll spend months on a problem to make it five seconds easier for a user, which is kind of counterintuitive. Well, I think that's the common thread that I've seen between Nest and Mill and other great products, Matt, is that the solution you're building isn't something that's uncommon to the consumer. They're familiar with a thermostat. They're familiar with a trash can. But you're just making their experience that much better, taking on climate change without them even necessarily knowing it, reducing their emissions in their home by simply making their thermostat better or allowing them to dispose of their food waste in a better way. This is critical. I mean, and this is totally by design. You can't change people's daily habits with big leaps and bounds. You make little tweaks. And with Nest, you know, same dial, same, same idea, but look for the green leaf. With Mill, you know, step on the pedal, open up, put your dinner scraps in. This stuff is not going to landfill. Like, keep it in the food system. But like small tweaks. Right, right, right. And I think your theme is catching on with other founders as well. I was listening to a show with another Insight founder, Paul Lambert, the other day, and he's talking about building a better mousetrap. You know, not actually a mousetrap, metaphorically a mousetrap. He's building a great HVAC heat pump system for the home as well. So check that out if you get the chance. But the same theme applies where the innovation's happening behind the scenes and the impact is happening behind the scenes as well. But you're just making people's lives better. So to your point, why did you see the household as the best place to address reducing food waste? Look, this, this was not obvious to me, but most food waste comes from us at home. It's actually not like a grocery store or restaurant issue. I mean, yes, like grocery stores and restaurants waste food, but they're kind of in the business of not wasting food. You know, like restaurants run on very narrow profit margin. So wasting food is bad. More than half of food waste comes from us at home. So like, let's start with the bulk of the problem. And also, it's the hardest part. When Harry and I were getting started, we spoke with all sorts of folks around the country, folks who worked in city government, folks who had worked in waste management, academics who have studied the industry for a really long time. And what was cool about 2020 is no one was on vacation. Everyone's like able to answer their phones. So we would call these folks and we would ask them like, what's the hardest thing about food waste? Like, what's the one thing you would want to do if you could like wave your magic wand and do something? And kind of across the board, everyone said the same thing is like, can we change people's behavior at home, right? We provide green bins at the curb. People don't use them. We've given people uh, tumblers to use in their backyard to put their food waste in to make compost for their gardens. People don't use them. And they said, we need to make it really easy. And cities don't know how to do that. Like kind of the city's mandate ends at the curb. And we're like, oh, like what if we can make a product that goes into your kitchen and makes it really easy for you at the point where you make the food waste? Because like once you have things separated, when you mix waste together, like it's really hard to unmix it. But like mm-hmm. when you keep things separate, then it's actually relatively easy to do the right thing. Well, that's great. And to your point, I think there may be the 1% of the population who really has a backyard garden, wants to develop their own compost. But for a lot of people, it's too big of a lift. People's lives are too busy. And so you're making it easy. 
A lot of other circular approaches focus on using food waste as a soil nutrient. What led your selection of converting food waste into chicken feed be the best way to keep it in the food system? Why did you go away from this other idea of, okay, let's put it in the backyard garden or, you know, call it compost if it's not actually compost? Why are you turning it into chicken feed? So we wanted to give everybody access to a environmentally positive pathway for food waste. And like the best thing to do with food is to eat it yourself or, you know, feed your family. But like, if you can't eat it, the next best thing would be to feed it to somebody else. And obviously, like, you can't feed, like, your old banana peels to somebody else. But, like, you can feed an animal. And actually, like, even recently, the EPA updated their, like, food waste recovery guidelines. And they put kind of animal feed as one of, like, the most best things you could do with food waste. But that's it. Like, we want to provide a pathway for everybody. And one of the things that we've started to do at Mill is provide more local pathways. So, like, we have our national pathway around animal feed. And we're starting to build partnerships with local farmers so that if you live in a community like Phoenix, where we have this pathway available, JD Hill and our city will come to your house and pick up your food waste and bring it back to their farm to then grow more vegetables to then feed the community. So ideally, we're living in a world where we're building local loops and local pathways that are really tight. And that's kind of how we used to live. Like back when humans were agrarian, like Whatever you didn't eat went out back to feed your animals or to into your to your agriculture. Obviously, like with like modern industrial society, we can't do that anymore. But but maybe we can. And I think that's so interesting, Matt, because the positive feedback loops you'll probably see with that community based model, like people will get excited about supporting their local farm and the local farm will be like, this is awesome for us. We're getting free food for our animals. Not only are you building a better solution for the planet, but better solution for communities. And that's more than anything what we need right now is communities to be like this. As I've learned with Insight, technology can't change things alone. We need communities to come together, policy to come together. And that's really cool that you guys are tapping into that as well. Thanks. Like, I don't think I could have started Mill first. I don't think Mill could have been my first company. Your point about like bring communities together and policy and nonprofits, like, that's what's making Mill work. We're working with folks kind of across the spectrum. And yeah, New York City is a really good example there. So New York City had some really serious budget cuts this year. And the mayor's last budget basically cut funding for all of the community composting in New York City. And these are like local community groups that are at farmers markets, who've got drop-off points, who are like running you know, community gardens in the local parks and like they lost their funding. So this is one where Mill Insight and others came together to to try to keep some of these local pathways alive. And we ran a uh, kind of a philanthropic funding campaign. We we're able to raise some money. We're actually raising more money for them because these local loops really matter. And in some ways, these local loops, these local composters, they're, you know, quote unquote, your competitors. And so it shows that you actually care and don't just care about, you know, monetary success or business success for mill, you want to do the right thing. And that will pay dividends in the long run, but just shows your values at heart. I mean, absolutely. Like, again, like we're not going to be able to tackle as big of a challenge as our changing climate, unless we're able to work together. And this is one where 
if we're able to preserve the community composters in New York City, could we actually build it such that like the food waste from New York City is able to stay in the community and create more local food right. instead of like sending it all to anaerobic digestion to create methane? Could we actually create more food for the community? Well, that's fantastic. I want to touch a little bit on your guys' future ambitions. Beyond the residential home, do you have ambitions to take mill elsewhere as well? And outside of the 50% of food waste that comes from homes, where else do you see the biggest opportunities for a product like mill? Yeah, I think over time, we absolutely will. I think kind of looking at the kind of the other half of where food waste is made, restaurants, offices, food service, catering, schools, hotels like yeah there's a very kind of there's a really long tail and mm -hmm. like i think we'll get there over time but yeah part of being a startup founder is knowing how to focus and like what you say no to and the spectrum of opportunity out there is so large and just in my own area of food waste like the spectrum of opportunity is so large it's just really important for founders to create really strong focus for their organizations like, like what are we not doing right and just it allows you to put, you know, one foot in front of the other day to day as well and keep yourself grounded in the moment, which I think is really, really important when you're pursuing anything at a high, high level. That's right. It's really important for founders to have a big vision and like to understand what their big picture is and what their North Star is. But like North Stars are great, but like what are you doing this year and like of the next six months, how many customers and what's your impact going to be? Well, Matt, I think that's the perfect segue. You have such a tremendous wealth of experience in building, in entrepreneurship. And so I want to tap into that a little bit. We'll transition a little bit away from mill product centered questions and to how to build a successful business. And we're doing a series at Insight on failure and defining success in entrepreneurship. And so we'll start there. But Obviously, you've achieved success with Nest. By a lot of standards, you've achieved success with Mill. I know you guys are still building and your ambitions are much higher. But with Nest, you know, you made millions of homes more energy efficient, enhanced the consumer experience. By and large, you achieved success. But was there anything from your journey with Nest that in reflection could have gone better? And how are you applying those lessons to Mill? Oh, I mean, we made a lot of mistakes. At Nest, we made a lot of mistakes. And one of the things I, I think about with building another company, a new company, is like you get to kind of fix the things you did wrong the first time. And one of the areas where I especially I look back a lot on the Nest journey is we were very kind of hardware product centric and a little bit less problem centric. You know, Nest started as a energy savings company. And over time, we added more and more. And eventually we came out and became a smart home company. Talking about like where the North Star is and what is the mission and what is the why behind the work. And with Mill, we've been super crisp. Like the why is around waste prevention. And the solutions to that may change over time. And actually they kind of already have. You know, like where we started the company, you know, three and change years ago is not the company we are today. And even like this year, kind of continue to iterate, but we know what the problem is we're trying to solve. And oftentimes I'll talk to founders that are very technology centric. They'll have like an idea for a cool new, it's germane today, new AI tech. We're gonna use generative AI for this. 
like, well, that's a technology. What is the problem you're trying to solve? Like AI is a technology, it's a tool. What is the problem that we are solving? And when you're problem centric, like the rest actually becomes a lot easier to communicate. Absolutely. And I think the the point that like, okay, you need to zoom out and just focus on the problem. It, it, and technology is sexy and it, it's understandable why our attention is drawn there. But when you can identify a problem and see what solutions it, it's needed. Yes, in this case, maybe a mill bin is needed, but also the composting programs to get mill to where it needs to go in New York City need to be supported as well. And so I think it gives you clear vision on what's the steps we need to take to get from where we are to where we want to go. That's right. And I think about like what drives us at mill, it's like trash stinks. Boom. That's what drives us. Like stinks with like all the meanings of the word. You got to know what your problem is <laughs> and like what problem you're solving. And the, and the technology, the solutions will change over time. No doubt. Like fall in love with your problem. I love it. Fall in love with your problem. Now, operationally, you've led a lot of effective teams, created effective work streams for environments. I think that's something that founders sometimes struggle with, the first-time founders especially, is setting up their organizations to be successful operationally. One of these is creating effective meetings. How do you run your management and board meetings? And more generally, what does it take to make a good meeting and what makes a bad meeting? So I'm a really strong believer in program management. And this is not your typical early stage startup. We're going to prioritize program management as kind of key hires on the team and technology talent process we're going to have. It kind of goes against the move fast and break things of the last decade of startups. But when you have effective program managers and actually our second hire at Nest was our lead program manager and actually one of our first hires at Mill was our senior program manager and she now basically runs the company for us today. When you have someone who's very operationally driven, who knows how to set an agenda, how to communicate, how you follow up, what are action items, what's our process, how do we get from A to B? You, you need your tour guide to then to go on your tour. And oftentimes I see, especially early stage companies, focus too much on hiring engineers. And it's great. You could hire a lot of engineers, but like, where are you going? And who's, who's driving the tempo and the process for the, for the organization? So big believer in program management. On the kind of the board and leadership side, one of my kind of founding tenants on like running effective board meetings is no surprises. Mm -hmm. So when, when I have a board meeting, everything we're going to talk about at the board meeting, I have probably discussed one-on-one -on -one with every board member already and have already gotten their ideas, their concerns. I may even like have debated it with some of them already. And we send pre-reads way ahead of time, like two, three days ahead of time so that everyone has time to digest. Everyone's really busy. So that way, like, your board meetings are really effective for getting to the meat of the discussion and like for the actual debate, as opposed to like, I've actually sat in board meetings where like, it's just update after update after update. It's not like status meetings are not helpful. Board meetings are not about status and like what's going on at the company. Board meetings are for big strategic debate. And in order to do that, you have to keep everybody up to date. Right. Pretty regularly so that everyone's on the same page. I, and that takes good product management. What do we need to get done today ahead of the That's, board meeting so that, that we can actually make this a useful meeting where it's about strategic debate and we could advance 
our initiatives and we have all these brilliant minds in one room, how can we leverage them instead of just updating them and boring them to sleep? So I, that's really, really important. Yeah, Shana Safko, who runs program management and operations for us at Mill, she basically sets the board meeting tempo and like, when do we speak to everyone working backwards and like when does the deck need to get done so in order for the deck to be done this this date when do we need to start the deck and we have it all kind of scheduled and planned out and it, it makes for effective communication which is the number one thing that's that's amazing matt transitioning again i know that you guys are fundraising at mill and it's interesting because you've worked both as a founder and a funder so what advice do you have for others looking to fundraise? And can you talk about what fundraising has been like for Mill and how startups should approach raising capital? I know that's such a broad question, but if there's certain takeaways you would go for. Oh, there, there are definitely some lessons learned from the journey. One is always be fundraising. Even when you're not fundraising, you are meeting with your next fund, your, your, your next investors. What One of the tricks of the trade I, I've learned over the years, and I didn't do this so much at Nest, but we did it at Mill and it, it was really helpful, is try to bring in your next round's investor in a previous round in a small way. And not, obviously, that you can't always do things that way, but when you're able to, it makes that ramp up so much faster. And going from a cold start with a new investor, you know, everything takes time. And it's really helpful if they're already bought in and they already are you know, involved in the company and they believe in the mission and they're getting updates. and you know, you're briefing them along the way. And then when it's the right time for their fun stage to come in in a big way, you're as a company now ready to kind of be, be where they are and you know, meet them where they are. And as a funder, what storytelling or what resonates with you when you're getting pitched for companies? So I mean, as, as an investor myself, I mostly invest based on talent. Uh, you know, I'm looking for incredible founders with passion, with like a strong mission orientation, who like I know are going to go above and beyond to deliver on their mission, knowing that their solution will probably change. Uh, yeah, and that's, you know, Insight primarily does earlier stage investing. So like with earlier stage investing, it's really about founder, it's about mission, it's about passion, it's about vision. Later stage, it's really about results and product market fit. And then eventually scale. And your scale-based investors, I call themselves growth investors, are looking for, like, if I put more money in, will I get more growth out? No, that's very helpful, Matt. And as your products, whether it be with Nest or with Mill, have transitioned from early-stage companies to growth-stage companies, how have you had to change your own management style? Are there different things that you prioritize in your own day-to-day? -day? How has that journey been? Yeah, I mean, I, I, at my heart, I'm a product guy. And as the business is in transition from product phase to growth phase, I've had to reorient and my focus has had to shift. Instead of, instead of spending you know, most of my time and days with our engineers and designers, uh, I'm spending most of my time with potential partners who are eventually going to help sell and scale the product. There's a lot of work with government that's you know, inevitably involved, like waste is a municipal issue. And I've had to get more and more involved in that front, which is yeah, not my default. My default will be like, let's spend time designing the next product. But actually, like the most impactful thing I could do for the business is grow the business. Yeah. And I heard that that I think it was Peter from Charm Industrial who said that 
he's a product guy. And he said that the problem with being CEO is you don't get to work on the problem that you want to work on. You have to work on the problem that needs to be addressed. Well, and well said, Peter. It sounds like that yeah. it sounds like that's the debacle of being a CEO, but here you are and you're, you're mission driven. You're doing the work that needs to be done. So it's so a props to you, Matt. Thanks. Well, yeah, the, the CEO, you're kind of a catch all and inevitably like the problems that are least going to get solved is the ones that I have to jump into. Uh, Harry, my co-founder and I often talk about this, like, yeah, we're kind of like the garbage can of problems for the company. That's just how it goes. You're, you're the mill of mill. The mill of mills, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, as the garbage can of the problems of the company, and we're talking about this lightheartedly, but I can only imagine the amount of stress and the amount of staying up late at night trying to figure out how you're going to get things done. This takes one thing that I think is really important is taking care of yourself and making sure that you're your best self day in, day out for your own personal health, for your family and for the company. What have you found are the best practices to take care of yourself? What does founder self-care look like for Matt Rogers? I mean, this is not something I've always done well. For the decade of hard work at Nest, I sacrificed my personal health. I, I think by the end of the Nest journey, I had like high cholesterol, high blood pressure, was overweight, like was stressed out, all those things. Uh, I was like 37 and looked like I was 60. Uh, and one of our early employees and a close friend of mine, Shige Hanjo, has taught me a lot over the years. And he's like, you can't be a great leader unless you take care of your body. And he got me into cycling. And that has been really helpful. Like one, for keeping my body in health, but also for de- de-stressing. And I lost weight, got my blood pressure in check, cholesterol is back, back to normal, like back, back in a really good zone. But it's very easy to let yourself go because you can say, oh, I don't have time to take care of myself. I need to go work on this problem or, you know, this team needs my help or I need to go fly out to go see this partner or this investor. But like, if you're not your best self, like, are you really going to run the company in the best way you can? Right. And I, I read the other day that, that someone said, your body is the house you have to live in for the next 80 years. And it's like, would you never vacuum a house that you have to live in for 80 years or take care of it? And I think a lot of times we lose sight of that. And in a lot of ways, taking care of yourself is more than that. It's spending time with your loved ones. It's not just about physical health. It's about mental health as well. And so I think that's really important. And I'm glad to hear that you've been able to, to implement those practices as well as you've continued this, this founding journey. You, you can't be an effective leader if you're if you're overly stressed out either. Like you know, as a leader, you have to have a clear mind. Like every day, we make critical decisions. We inspire others to do their best work. And like if if you're feeling depressed or anxious, like are you really going to be able to be your best self at the office? Absolutely, absolutely, spot on, Matt. Just a couple more questions here. One of the intended audiences of this podcast is college-aged individuals or people like myself who are about to enter the workforce but want to get involved in slowing down global warming and climate change. If you're someone in this position where with and with these motivations, where would you start? I mean, the good news and the bad news is climate change pretty much affects the entire economy, society, and, and planet. So pretty much anywhere you look, there's a climate problem, whether it's a technical problem, a communications problem, a political or policy problem, food, transportation, energy, buildings, you pretty much touch it, there's a climate angle to it. So as a young person entering the workforce, like 
you get to choose kind of the direction you go in. And, you know, like if you're interested in an area, like you could find the climate angle for that one. That's my advice is align yourself with teams or companies that care and are going to actually do something about the problem. That's the most important thing. Like whether climate change is on the masthead of the company you're joining or the, the mission you're joining, or it's in the subtext, like find something that aligns with your values. Absolutely. Something that aligns with your values and something that aligns with your skill set. Like you said, it could be communications, it could be policy, it could be engineering. There's so many different angles to approach the climate problem. And I think it's so cool that we're uncovering entirely new areas that we didn't even understand five, six years ago that climate was part of this issue. You look back at the 2018 Farm Bill, climate isn't even addressed in in agriculture and the biggest agriculture law in the united states and so i think the opportunities will only grow to have a climate impact and so i really appreciate that answer matt last question for you what is a fun fact not about matt rogers founder and ceo of mill but about matt the person Ooh, that's a good one so I love science fiction. It was one of my my passions outside of work and love Star Wars in particular. And like, I kind of still like to dress up as Obi-Wan for Halloween with the kids. Probably like funniest thing I've done is I've tried to get like extras seats at Star Wars movie premieres, like, you know, seat fillers. Like I, I've been a seat filler before. I was, I was that excited to go see it on opening day. That's, that's amazing. Um, I I personally need to up my game when it comes to sci-fi and Star Wars because I cannot say I'm that familiar. But if if it gets your endorsement, then it's it's on my bucket list for sure. It's some quality TV. Quality TV. Well, that concludes today's episode. I first want to say thank you to you, Matt, co-founder and CEO of Mill, Obi-Wan Halloween dress-up, and seat filler at Star Wars premieres. Mill is drastically reducing greenhouse gas emissions from the home and changing our food systems as we know it. If you like this episode of Built for Earth, please subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social media, and check out our new website at builtfor.earth to stay up to date on startups with world-changing potential like Mill. Until next time, this is Matt Rogers and Sam Beskin signing off. Thank you.